Welcome to the second season of the I Believe the Book podcast. Let me just uh, pause and thank you so much for all of you that have already watched some of the other ones and for maybe some of you that are tuning in for the first time. It is a great honor to me. I mean that. I know that we're not, uh, I'm not real good at this, but I do believe that it's a needed and it's a, certainly a, a new way to expand our influence, hopefully for the glory of God and for the good of others. And so I appreciate you being willing to watch and to listen. I do want to say that there's already seven episodes online from season one, and you can find those on the Apple Podcast. You can find those on Podbean and other podcast sources. You can also find them on an I Believe the Book YouTube channel. They have been all placed on that. And so if you have not seen those episodes, I would encourage you to go back and to watch those. And then, of course, stay with us as we'll try to be a little better at more faithfully getting out uh, material this season. Now, I know some of you laughed when I said that because I've said that before. But uh, Mr. Wilson, my uh, Brandon Wilson back here helping me, he stays on me and wants to do it, and it's all my fault. So I'm going to try to listen to him and do better this year, but we do appreciate you so much. Now, if you've watched before, we try to always start with some kind of funny story. Normally, I have guests. I plan to do that uh, going forward again, looking forward to some of the folks that will be willing to come on. I always have them tell some funny story, some uh, something embarrassing or dumb that they've done in the ministry because we're not perfect. We make mistakes, and it's good for us to be able to laugh at ourselves every now and then. Of course, I've told several on myself. I'll, I'll give you another one today. First of all, I want to say that I should get a free pass if I say anything crazy today because probably I should be in the concussion protocol. I'm going to lean in and see if you can see this place on my head right here. I know with all this flowing hair, it's probably hard to see, but I've got a big scar on my head where I hit my head yesterday at the school. We were taking down decorations. Uh, after some Christmas uh, parties and stuff that we had at a Christian school. And I was leaning in to uh, plug in some microwaves that we had moved. And boy, there was a wooden shelf about right there that absolutely about knocked me out. So I may be slightly concussed today. And so I'm going to use that as an excuse for anything crazy that I say. And on top of that, I want to tell you a story. I asked my wife, so I asked her, I said, what's uh, one of the mistakes that I've made, some, something crazy I've done through the years that I might could tell? And she reminded me of this one. Now, this was before I was a pastor. But I was already working here at the church, and I was a bus captain, and then I also taught an adult Sunday school class, and it met up at our school gym, which is separate from our auditorium. And so I would get here from the bus route, and I would jump off, and I would run up to the uh, school there, and then uh, I would... Uh, uh, you know, teach the class. Then I would hurry back down to the auditorium and lead the choir and stuff. So pretty busy Sunday mornings. And one Sunday morning, I got off the bus and to be honest with you, I was sick in my stomach and I needed to go to the restroom. And so when I got to the school, our school is also where our special citizens ministry meets, which is adult mentally handicapped. And they use the main bathroom and they're in there a lot. And so I didn't really want to go in there and use the restroom with all of them. And so I wanted a more private place. And I remembered that in our K3, K4 classroom was a private restroom. So I wanted to go in there. And so uh, 
um, I, I went in there. Now, one funny thing is the toilets are very small in there, so I used a little tiny toilet. And uh, when I was going to flush the toilet there just before running to class, it, it, it wouldn't flush. The little handle didn't work just right. And, uh, you know, some of you that are a little older like I am, you know that's happened in the past, and you can just lift the lid, and there's a little metal rod that's got a chain on it, and it's just the chain has come loose, and it's no big deal. You reach in there and fix the chain. And I thought, well, that's probably what it is. So I, I removed the lid from the back of the uh, toilet there, and I looked, and, and there was no little rod, and there was no little floaty thing. And none of the stuff I was used to seeing inside of a toilet, it, it was more modern, if you will, and it was all one big plastic piece. And so I thought to myself, well, maybe if I just, maybe if I just adjust that a little bit, it'll, it'll let the water run out, and we can flush this toilet, and I can go and teach class. Except when I touched it, uh, I just touched it, Brandon. And when I did, the whole plastic piece came off and water began to spray up like a fountain. It was out of control. Now, my first response was a bad response, which is just to put your hand on it. Well, that's terrible. When I put my hand on it, it's just spraying everywhere. After I calmed down for a second, I remember you can just cut the water off down there at the bottom. So I reached down and cut off the water. And then I, I'm, I'm looking at it and, and I figured it out and, and got the toilet all in shape. But here's the problem. I'm soaking wet now. I've already got on my dress shirt and my tie. I'm getting ready to go out. I've got to go literally in just minutes and go and teach. Uh, the good news is I didn't have my suit coat on yet. So what I did was I just put my coat on over the wet shirt and the wet tie, buttoned it up, hoping nobody could tell, and went in there and had to teach my Sunday school class with uh, a soaking wet shirt from an exploding toilet. Now, my wife did say later, uh, that there wasn't a whole lot you could tell except I never wear any kind of stuff in my hair. I just brush my hair. I don't even hardly have hair now. And then I had a little more, but I never used gel or any of that stuff. And uh, after that day, she said she had several ladies ask her, is, is uh, Brother Tony using gel in his hair now? And the answer, of course, was no, it's not gel. It was the exploding toilet in the K3, K4 classroom. So uh, we all do dumb stuff from time to time. And sometimes you're going to have to teach Sunday school with exploded toilet water all over your shirt. I hope you never have to do it, but I had to do it. And by the grace of God, we made it through. And so there's your funny story for the day. I want to get into my lesson. I want to make sure that I'm watching my time. I do want to say to you, I've never done this before yet in the podcast, but we're actually recording part one of two today. And so this will just be half or maybe a little more than half of the material that I'm going to give you in this lesson. And so uh, hopefully we're going to be able to record it all today and then put it out in two parts because of the length. And so maybe that means that you'll get episode one and then episode two uh, at a more quick pace than we've done in the past. So hopefully that'll be the case. If you want to look in the Bible, I know many of you are probably driving or whatever and you can't do that, but I'm going to read a verse or two, very familiar verse out of Esther chapter 4. Now before I get into the lesson, let me make two statements, two statements uh, by way of introduction. And uh, this is it. Number one, I want to say this. You do not have to be able to read Greek or Hebrew in order to know what God has said in the Bible. He has given us His perfect word in the English language in this King James Version. Now, I'm not against you studying Hebrew. I'm not against studying Greek. I'm not against using lexicons and those things to get the understanding deeper or whatever. But I want to make sure that we understand that what we believe, what I believe about this Bible is that I can understand with a dictionary, I can know what God was saying without ever reading the Greek or the Hebrew. That's number one. Number two, if you've ever been made to feel less of a preacher, 
or less of a student of the Bible because you've never had a semester of Greek or Hebrew, then I want you to make sure you listen all the way to the end. I have. Uh, as a matter of fact, as a result of some of the last season's podcasts, there was uh, discussions, if you will, that were provoked online. And uh, there were some that came pretty hard against me by the fact that I cannot read Greek or Hebrew. And it caused me to do a great deal of, of study in my heart and in my mind about that topic. And so I want to make sure that I help some of those guys that have not had the privilege of Bible college and uh, sometimes are made to feel inferior because of that. Once again, you don't have to be able to read Greek or Hebrew to know what God was saying in the Word of God. Uh, and so I want to I help us with that. That being said, in Esther chapter 4, uh, we're going to read a couple of verses here to set up my thought, and then we'll get on into it as good as we can. Now, most of you know the story of Esther. The nation of Israel has been overthrown, has been destroyed by the Babylonians. Now, the ones who survived the attack have been taken into captivity into the Babylonian Empire, which eventually uh, was overtaken by the Persians. Now, when we get to here in the book of Esther, Jews have spread all throughout this Persian Persian kingdom, and some are even now living in Shushan, which is the palace, palace city of the Persian king. Now, Satan, of course, is at work, and Satan has using a wicked, powerful man named Haman, and Haman has hatched a plan to try and wipe out the Jewish nation. I believe Satan was behind all of that. He's always been trying to prevent the coming of the Messiah. Now, we know that God's overarching plan, all the way back from the Garden of Eden, is that a Savior would come. He would bruise Satan's head and all of those things that we know. And we know that he's going to come from the Jewish line. So here's what we understand. No matter how powerful Haman may have been politically and no matter how much money he had and all that stuff, he was not going to be able to wipe out all of the Jews of the land because God's overarching plan of a coming Messiah from the Jewish line cannot be stopped. God is in control. And so what God does is God begins to put several things in place in this book to thwart Haman's plan to keep the divine plan of redemption going forward. Now, we know some of those things. First of all, the king needs a new queen, and they hatch a crazy plan to find one. They basically decide we're going to use a beauty pageant to pick the next queen. I don't know that that had ever been done before. I think it seems kind of a, a crazy plan, but here's what I would say to you. I believe God was involved in that because how else would you get a Jewish girl on that throne? Probably no other method would have landed a Jewish girl on that throne other than just having this beauty pageant. And so God begins to put things in place and he puts the right people in the right place at the right time. Surely reading this book, you can see that very clearly. The right people in the right place at the right time. He puts the right person in Esther. In chapter 2, verse 7, we'll find some things out about her. And you feel you realize that she is this beautiful, she's very submissive, very courageous Jewish girl. She's exactly what God needed at that time for this particular situation. And uh, not only Esther is in the right place at the right time, but over in chapter 2, verses 19 to 23, uh, he uses Mordecai to save the king's life. Mordecai's, and again, he's in just exactly the right place to overhear this conversation of these men plotting to take the king's life. He then sends word to the authorities and the king's life is saved. Because of that, later on, it becomes a very important part of the story. I want you to see that throughout God is at work and that God is putting people in just the right place at just the right time because he's going to keep his big plan in play no matter what the others are doing. Esther's a little 
afraid, of course, when it gets down to it. Mordecai sends word when they, when they hear of Haman's plan, how that all the Jews are going to be killed, and there's this grand conspiracy against them. Mordecai sends word and tells her that she's going to have to go in and speak to the king on behalf of her people. Again, most of you probably know that she says to him, there is a law. The law says if I go into the, to the palace throne room and I have not been invited, then if he doesn't raise the royal scepter, then my life will be taken. And so there's great risk. And so she hesitates because of that great risk. And at that time, we get these very famous verses out of Esther chapter 4, verse 13 and 14. The Bible says, Then Mordecai commanded to answer Esther, Think not with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth, here it is, whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this. What Mordecai is saying is that Mordecai has recognized that God has been at work. Mordecai has recognized that God has supernaturally aligned all of these pieces and put them in place, in particular Esther, in just the right place as part of the royal family, as the queen of the land, having that authority, having that, if you will, that influence over the king and her being a Jewish girl, it was just uh, it was too much, if you will, of a coincidence for it not to be God. And Mordecai recognized that. And he says to her, maybe this is the whole reason. This is the whole purpose for why you're here. It's for this time right now and for what you can do. And so as we look at that, many of us are familiar with this statement. and We've preached these messages. But what I want to submit to you is that God has always done things like this. I believe that God has always uh, orchestrated tons of little things in order to raise people up for such a time as this moment's in order to see his overarching will be done. How about the story of little David? We don't often think of little David's battle against Goliath as of such a time as this moment, but let me submit a couple things to you. First of all, how about we're just talking about the day of the battle. How about the fact that the night before, God put it into his daddy's heart to send him down to the battle to check on his brothers? I don't think that was an accident. I don't think that was a coincidence. I think that was a divine impression from God. I believe God nudged David's dad and said, hey, you need to send him down there tomorrow and let him check on his brothers. The dad didn't know what God was doing, but God had an overarching plan. One of them was that David was going to be the king. And this moment here, this great victory was going to play a role in what the people think of David later on when his name comes up as a leader. And so God was at work. Listen, how about this? David just happened to show up at just the right time to hear Goliath's rant. See, the Bible says that Goliath did this ranting. It did it morning and evening. Now think about that. I don't think it means that he stood out there all day and said these things. I think that he would come in the morning and he would make that big speech about why don't you send us a man and he can come out and fight me. The one that wins that side, you know, will rule over the other side. I think he would come out in the morning and make that challenge. I think he would come out in the evening and make that challenge. And listen, the Bible says that he did that. And what if David, think about all the variables now, that David showed up at just the right time. What if David had slept in? He's a teenage boy. Teenage boys like to sleep in. What if he had slept in a little bit that day or what if he'd had trouble on the trip there and something would have happened and showed up instead of at that time of the morning showed up in the middle of the day listen I would submit to you uh, that things would have changed greatly if little David had done those things and it hadn't worked out the way that it did. But see, God had just the right person in just the right place at just the right time. And how about that he had already, David as a teenage boy, miraculously had already killed a lion and a bear. 
How many teenagers do you think live in, in Jerusalem or, or living, you know, in, in that day, in that area of the world? How many teenagers do you think had already done that? But we know that when David is confronted with the opportunity to fight Goliath and he is challenged as to whether or not he can do it, it is, it is particularly these two victories that give him that courage and that faith. He says, listen, I was able to, uh, to, to slay that lion and slay that bear. God gave me the ability to slay the lion and slay the bear and he'll give me the victory over this Philistine. And so uh, God had just the right teenage boy right there at just the right time in just the right place to win this battle against Goliath. You know why? Because God had this overarching plan that he was at work in and God gave David a such a time as this moment right there in that valley of Elah. Now, what I want to say as I go forward now and get into the real thought is this, that the battle for the King James Bible or over the King James Bible is raging again in our land. It's raging even among, you know, what people would be considered Bible believers. And so I, I have good friends that are dealing with it in their churches. And, I, I, you know, I get in discussions about it all the time. And sometimes, if you will, little attacks, if you will, online about it. And so uh, I, I just want to talk about a particular thought here. That we that are King James Bible believers, we believe that God gave the promise in the Word of God to perfectly preserve His Word. I do believe, I know some disagree, but I do believe that Psalms 12, 6, and 7 is a promise of preservation. And I believe that God promised to preserve His Word. It says, The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. I know some people want to say that verse 7 is referring to people in that chapter. Some say it's in verse 5, the oppressed and the poor and all of that. But I want to say to you, I believe it very clearly is referring back to verse 6, the words of the Lord. That it's the words of the Lord that He's going to preserve from this generation forever. And so I'm I believe that is a promise of God. Now listen, not only in Psalms, three times in the New Testament, he says, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. I believe there is a, a clear divine plan of God that he's always had to perfectly preserve his word. That is an overlying will of God plan that has been in his heart all the way back from when he had these verses written down. That he had a plan to perfectly preserve his word. Now, that being the case, I want to submit to you that just like God has done throughout the Bible, all through church history, he has had such a time as this moments for his children. That he has had just the right people in just the right place at just the right time to continue his plan of whatever it might be that he's working on at that moment. And that being the case, this promise right here, this overlying promise of the word of God being perfectly preserved, that it's going to be preserved from that generation forever and that it's going to never pass away. That overlying promise of God has, I believe, led God to use men and women in exact moments of time for such such a time as this to continue that promise going forward. Now listen to me. I want to say more specifically in this lesson that I believe that's what was going on back in the early 1600s when God supernaturally in my heart gathered the King James Bible translators together. I want to say to you that I believe that this King James Bible is a miraculous divine work of God. 
I believe it is the literal fulfillment of the promise of God. To, uh, in our day, we're looking at it right here, that this is part of God's plan for how he was going to perfectly preserve his word. That is what I believe. I'm going to say to you today that he, he did other things to get us to this point, but now he's got us to this point, and this is the word of God. It's a divine work of the Lord. I don't think uh, that it was an accident. I don't think that it was just, you know, uh, 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 just something that sort of happened. No, I believe that just like, you know, God supernaturally ordained some things in Esther's day, God supernaturally ordained some things in David's day, I think that God supernaturally ordained some things in the early 1600s so that he might continue his big plan of preservation of his word. I want to say three things quickly about that. I want to say, first of all, that he had the right men. I believe he had the right men. I don't believe it was an accident who he had. I know they were just men. I know they were not perfect. I know that I might not agree with every one of them on every doctrinal thing. But listen to me now. God don't use perfect people except for the Lord Jesus to do his will. Esther was not perfect. Mordecai was not perfect. David was not perfect. They didn't understand everything just right. And I want to say something else to you. I don't think they fully understood everything that was going on in their life and what big things God was doing in their life at that time. I don't know that David understood the great ramifications of his victory that day. I think he was in the moment. I think he thought, man, this is an opportunity for the world to know that there's a God in, he in uh, Israel. And so uh, I don't know that they understand. And I believe the same thing about these translators. I don't think they were perfect. I know they didn't believe everything just like I believe, and I don't think that they fully understood what God was doing. I don't think they knew it was for such a time as this. I don't think that they understood that it was going to be, you know, the perfectly preserved words of God. But surely you realize that sometimes God is using these earthen vessels just like me and you. And we're just trying to do our best to do our part as faithful as we can being led of the Lord. And at the same time, he may be doing some bigger thing behind the scenes that later we could find out about or we may not know till we get to heaven. I believe that's what was going on in the 1600s. I believe it's the right men. I believe it was at the right moment of time. I'll share some of that with you. And I believe that they did the right method in order to get it correct for the glory of God and to help fulfill God's promise of preservation. So I want to address those real quickly. I believe it was for such a time as this moment there when they uh, were dealing with this translation because I believe God had just the right men at just the right moment using just the right method to fulfill his large overlying promise of the preservation of the perfect word of God. I want to share some of that with you. Well, as you can see, we have stopped uh, this episode. And so what we're going to do is hopefully in just a couple of weeks, we'll come back with the second half of this lesson. And uh, I don't want you to miss it because I'm going to address in that second half why I believe that God gathering together the translators in the early 1600s leading up to that 1611 uh, King James Version, why I believe they were not just an accidental gathering of people, but that God had supernaturally put the right men at the right moment and they used the right method to keep His promise going forward, that promise of preservation. And so I want you to join me for that. And remember, if you can uh, subscribe or you can like it or you can share it, that'll be a blessing to us. We're just trying to get the word out that, you know what, you can still believe the book. God bless you. We'll see you next time.